Good morning. I think this is the fourth year I've been here. I recognize many familiar faces. I'm grateful for community. I'm grateful for their vision locally, globally. I count it a privilege to partner with you in planning churches in India, the most unreached nation in the world. I'm thrilled to be here. And I want to tell you, um, as, as, as complicated as my travel schedule has been lately, um, I wasn't so sure. I don't know if you heard about the, all the travel issues that occurred over the holidays. I was caught up in that mess. And uh, um, it's just, it's, it's not so bad if you have a delayed flight on a, a, on a direct flight, but when you have a connection, your mind is, oh, am I going to get home? Well, that's what happened to me. I was in Oklahoma City, got message of a delay, um, was going into Chicago, had a limited time to make my flight to get to Grand Rapids, and uh, praise God, in the midst of it, I got this notice that the flight to Grand Rapids was delayed. So I'm like, oh, hey, this could all work out for my good. But when I landed, I checked the app. And um, I don't know if you ever look, have this, these, I'm, I'm a United guy, good or bad. We can talk about that another day. Um, but anyways, they, they have this app that comes up and it tells you how long it's going to take you to get from the gate you come into to the gate you go out of. Well, I was coming into the D gate going out of the B gate, said I had 18 minutes to get there, um, and, but the plane was boarding in 15 minutes, so I needed to cut three minutes off, so I come out of that plane, and I'm moving like you wouldn't believe, and in fact, I'm moving so fast, my phone, my watch starts buzzing, and I thought, oh, maybe it's a delay, and no, my, my watch is saying, slow down, guy, you're going to have a heart attack, you don't, you don't normally move this fast, and, 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 and so I'm moving, and I come up to the gate, and I see the tail end of the plane, and I'm like, oh, good, I'm going to get home, and I take two more steps, and that door is closed. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I walked up to the gate agent, and I'm telling you, I am all about kindness. Um, you can attract more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. And I put on my brightest smile, and I'm like, hi, is that's the flight going to Grand Rapids? He says, yes, it is, sir. And I said, oh, good, I'm, I'm here. Can you open the door? And I'll get on. And he looked at me like I had a third eye and with no emotion, no nothing. He said, sir, that door is locked, closed, and there is no way it will ever be opened. And I was, and I was so disappointed, but because I've traveled a fair amount, when I was in Oklahoma City, I set up a rental car, um, so I made it there, made it home just a little bit later. But hear me, on the, on the drive home, and I don't know why, but, but God brought to my mind this verse in Revelations chapter 3, verse 8, where he says, I know your deeds and I've placed before you an open door that no one can close. I know you have little strength, yet you've kept my word. You haven't denied me. And, and I started to think about that. You know, in terms of, of this physical world, we, we, we impact closed doors. But, but there is a spiritual realm. And God says, I, I, I realize there's doors. And because of my grace, because of my mercy, because I want to be in relationship with people. There are times and there are places where supernaturally I will create receptivity to the gospel in certain people's lives and in places. And I want to tell you 
God is opening doors in India, the most unreached nation in the world. And what I want to do with you today, I want to look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul. I want to talk to you about how, how if, if, if God can reach Paul, he can reach anyone. I am going to apply that to India, but what I want to also do is have us think about people in our life. Children, grandchildren, a friend, brother, sister, maybe a mom, dad, who, who has not yet come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning in terms of, of who God is by his character and his love. So I'm going to read this morning from Acts chapter 9. Um, I'm going to read 16 verses, so you need to lean in because it's a, a lengthy read. And um, before I read it, though, I want to ask God's blessing on the word. So let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, I come before you, dear God, and we just love you, we worship you, we praise you. I pray, dear God, that your word would be powerful, that, dear God, we would, um, through the power of your spirit, remove all the distractions, all the clanging and murmuring in our minds and concentrate on what you have to say to us today. In thy name do we pray, amen. Acts 9, beginning... Um, at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, woman he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why? Do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. But in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. We read that like that's just so common, right? And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is, for he is, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him, to restore his sight. The Lord Ananias answered, as if God doesn't know this, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, you go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for me. <clears throat> so what I want us to really understand this morning is if God, through his son Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can reach the apostle Paul, there is no one beyond the reach of God. First of all, we just need to understand, this is obvious, but Paul was an opponent of the faith. The conversion of the Apostle Paul is a conversion of a person who was 
utterly committed to eliminate Christianity from the face of the earth. Acts 8, 3 says, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, it's interesting, in our passage, we're given, passage, we're given some geographical references, and what we can learn from that is Paul was so committed to persecution that he was traveling 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus to eliminate, to arrest, to persecute, to imprison Christians. And if you were to talk to anyone of that day and said, what are the odds of Paul, of Saul, ever becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, people would look at you like you had lost your mind. But what God really wants us to see in this text is the most unlikely people can be converted, and they are. God's mercy and grace is not limited by anything. It's not limited to people who grow up in a Christian family. It's not limited to, to, to children who attend the, the, the latest and the greatest children's ministry or youth ministry. Now hear me. Those things are important and they, they all help, but there are no limitations on God's grace. And that's what we need to see here. The chief of sinners can be converted, and what that means is anyone can be converted. Even 1.3 billion people who live in India. I, am wanna, I wanna tell you from a rational standpoint, what I just said there makes no sense. India is a nation of 1.3 billion Get, get that in your head first, and then understand 93% of everyone who lives there is a Hindu. What that means is they worship over 330 million different deities. It's like stepping back into the Old Testament in terms of idol worship. 4% of that country is Hindu, and only 2.5% and only to 3% is Christian. In fact, it's the most unreached nation in the world. It's one of the 10 most persecuted places in the world. It is the number one place of physical violence orchestrated against Christians, but the Spirit of God is moving in India in a way I've just never experienced. I've shown this map before, but it's such a great illustration. I'd like to, to show it again. It's, it's a, the International Mission Board does this every single year. They try to identify where's the most unreached people in the world, and you can see here that, that India is, is lit up like the 4th of July, but here's what I really want you to notice, and, and I say this every time too, is China. Look how green China is. Years ago, China would have been as red as India, and it's a testimony to everything we're talking about today. It's a testimony to the power of God. It's testimony to the, to the grace of God. Never can we underestimate the incredible love of God. How great the love of God is that he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. What I want to now talk about is how, is he, how does this happen? Okay, okay, I, I'm all about the nation of India. I think it's great we're there, but I want to tell you there's people who are very near and dear to my heart who just need to say yes to God's yes, and how does that happen? Well, as we look at our text, we can see, number one, it happens through the words and the witness of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ appears to Paul. He reveals himself. Verse 3 says, As he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So it is the words and the witness that reach Paul's hard heart. But here's what I also want you to notice. This comes out of nowhere. This is, this is sudden and completely unexpected. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, just radically takes over on the road to Damascus. Now, some people want to say that, that God had been working on Paul, that Paul was feeling guilty about the stoning of Stephen, about all the persecuting he was doing. But there is no evidence of that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, in Acts 23, Paul says that he lived um, a, in good conscience up until the day of his conversion. There was no convicting of sin. There was no great sermons he had been hearing. He wasn't invited to a uh, um, young adults group where people were befriending him and talking about Jesus. This was just radically an intervention, a supernatural, a grace-filled moment in Paul's life. And if God can do it in Paul's life, he can do it all over India. He can do it in your son's life, your daughter's life. He can do it in our grandchildren's life. He can do it in our neighbors. He can do it through the, the words and the witness of this congregation. And that is the core of who God has called us to be. Now, the key thing that we have to notice here, right, is that God's strategy is to communicate his love through people. That is the strategy. I mean, God miraculously appears to Paul but Ananias and then later Barnabas go, are sent into Paul's life and bring confirmation, bring witness to everything that Christ has revealed. Now there's a whole side conversation we can have here given the day and age we're in regarding relationship and community and incarnation and COVID and online and all of that, but I just want, I'm not trying to open a can of worms or anything, I just want to say, say it's, it, God sent Jesus into this world, it's incarnational, we're relational. God calls us into relationship with other people to be witnesses in people's lives. So in India, what we're doing with community is, is, is we have three primary programs. We do church planner training, adult literacy classes, and children's Bible clubs. We launched those for one year, and, and through that year, we have, we have leaders, we have volunteers who, who are out proclaiming who Christ is, pointing to the Word, testifying to the Word, and, and, and what's unique with our relationship with community is we're concentrating on one district, which is like a county, it's called a district in India, Michigan, we call it a county, um, and, and our vision is in that district of Madurai, which is in the south, is to plant, in the, next, in the next two years, we've already been a year into it, 669 churches. So what they do is we have these programs, and given time, I can't, I'm not going to talk a lot about them, I can talk to you later about them, but we launch the programs, kids come, adults come, we call on people in terms of 
presenting Christ, so on and so forth. And, and, and we gather them in prayer cells. So Hinduism is such a praying religion that people want to be prayed for. We gather in prayer cells. God begins to reveal himself, answer prayer. And out of those, we launch churches. Now, here's the key thing. We're doing this in the most unreached nation in the world. And sometimes the most unreached nations are the most resistant nations. They're unreached for, an area, for a reason. Sometimes the most unreached nations in the world are the most violent. And to date, um, there's been more violence orchestrated against Christians in India than, than anywhere else. Thousands of churches have been invaded by mobs. Pastors have been beaten. Congregations have been intimidated. Bibles are burned. Churches are burned. The police come and they arrest not the persecutors, but they arrest the persecuted. And on top of that, the current Indian government is passing laws that would make it an offense punishable by prison for sharing Christ. There's already nine states in India that have passed such a law, and what this does is, is it's an attempt to drive Christians underground to keep them quiet, to keep them reserved, and there is no way that's happening, which is amazing to me in terms of the passion, the focus, and it all comes down to the fact that they know many, all of them, 90, 100% of them have been saved from Hinduism, and they just know the hope, and, and they know that, that, that people need the hope of Jesus Christ. They know the nation of India needs the word, needs to know the living word, so they share that word, they proclaim that word, they do everything they can to get that word into people's lives because they also understand the promises one of the greatest promises of scripture is isaiah 55 that says the word of god will never return void you know what that word never means in hebrew when it's written it means never pretty simple it means it never will return void that there's always fruit the holy spirit always accompanies the word and people are testifying to it in the midst of horrendous conditions just heard a story the other day of a church planner. God's doing powerful, powerful things through. I'm, I'm, he's opened a door through this person. And what I want to say is that's just supernatural activity of receptivity of the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people are coming to Christ. Well, he was abducted by the Indian authorities. He was interrogated. He was beaten. They're trying to figure out his connections in terms of who was um, helping him, who was funding him, if there's any outside um, organization outside of India, you know, helping him accomplish this or anything. And the guy just wouldn't give him anything. And he's battered and he's bloodied. And, and in the midst of it, out of anger, out of fear, out of a movement of the Holy Spirit, call you what you want. But he looked at them and said, listen, you will never understand this. But I have preached to thousands. I have told as many people as I can about Jesus Christ. I have given scriptures to anyone who would receive them, and what's going to happen is you are going to kill me, and my blood is going to be sprinkled over everything I've ever said that testifies to Jesus. And all the power of those words will become 10,000 times more powerful because of what you're going to choose to do. Because it has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with the Word. See, in India, we have incredible programs. 
I'd love to share with you the scope of our ministry, but I, I can't just in terms of security reasons and, and, and being online. But we have an incredible staff. We have incredible programs um, who are completely committed, and they're, and they're incredibly relevant. And if you were to be there, you'd go and you'd see what happened with our kids. You'd be like, wow, they love it. They're engaged. God's doing so much. But I want to tell you at the core, the, 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 the nuance, the foundation of all of our children's program, of all of our literacy classes, of all of our church playing, they only exist for one reason, and that is to proclaim the Word. To share the living Word, to point people to Jesus. All our evaluation of everything we do in India centers on the Word. You have a new idea, you have a new thought, something that's going to reach more people, then you tell us how we're utilizing the Word to do that. Because everything is about the Word, and, 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 and everything else is just a delivery system. How do we understand the culture Create the right environment, the right ministries, the right program to engage people in the Word. So if there's someone in your life and they're resistant, you're like, man, I just don't know. It's going to take an open door. The Holy Spirit opens the doors of our heart through the power of the Word, through our witness of the Word, through our encouragement in the Word. Now, we have to be careful how we handle the Word, right? It's not a hammer. It's, it's, it's God's grace. It's God's mercy. And that's how we always have to use it. But hear me, that's not the only tool that we have. So I want you to, to turn with me, or I think it's going to be on the, on the screen, to Acts 7, because there's another amazing tool. Um, and this is incredible. I'll be real honest with you. I'm 57 years old. I think I've been a pastor or leader in Christian movements for 25, 30 years, and this is the first time this, this hit me. And if you've been a follower of Christ, this is going to be a very familiar passage, but this is incredible power here. And, and, and this is what it says. This is at the stoning of Stephen. The Jewish leaders were stung to fury because Stephen was proclaiming the word. He was lifting up the word. By Stephen's accusation, he ground their teeth in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily upward into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand, and he told him, look, I see the heavens opened and Jesus the Messiah standing beside God at his right hand. Then they mobbed him, putting their hands over their ears and drowning out his voice with their shouts. They dragged him out to the city to stone him. The official witnesses, the executioners, they took off their coats and they laid them at a, the feet of a young man named Saul. And as the murderous stones came hurling at him, Stephen cursed them all out. Stephen let them have it. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees and he said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. And I want to say that when Stephen prayed that prayer, a prayer covering went out over all of those who were killing him. And what I wonder is, do we understand the power of prayer? Do we understand what happens in the heavenly realm 
when we pray at the very center and the very heart of who Jesus is. Because Stephen's prayer is very close to Christ's prayer. And I don't know how many people there the Holy Spirit moved in their hearts and, and, and caused them to say yes to God's yes, but I do know that God answered that prayer in the life of Paul. There's another passage in Colossians chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul is in prison and he's praying, and this is his prayer. He says, he's writing a letter to the church of Colossae, and he says, he says can you pray for us too? That God would open a door for our message for which I'm in chains. At the core of, of, of who Mission India is, and because I have such a long relationship of Bible college with Kurt Henry and seminary with Chris and Trent, I know what's at the heart of this church is this desire, this, this passion for the Word, this desire to witness to the Word, this understanding of, of the power of intercession. And what I'm here to do today is to, number one, affirm you through our partnership of how many people are coming to know Christ through our partnership. Last year, it was over 600 people, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of lockdown, because of our, our partnership in India. But sometimes in, in the pace of life and the overwhelming nature of life, we can tend to forget about the power of God, the gifts of God. So that's the other thing I want to remind you. I just want to remind you of the power of the word and the power of prayer. And, 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 and sometimes when we have children or, or loved ones who haven't received Christ, we can look inward and we can be, boy, should have been a better dad. You know, we could have been better parents. You know, we should have had more devotions around the table. And maybe we should have. But at the end of the day, I want to tell you that people coming into relationship with God is not dependent upon us. It's completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And what we need to do is be faithful with the Word and with coming before the Lord and, and, and crying out and, and praying in line with Him for people to understand His grace and His mercy. And that is, 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 is just the greatest thing in terms of a church, in terms of our calling, in terms of the legacy that we leave. And I know I'm not intimately involved here, but I, I want to tell you, as, as, as I watch community, as I know people who are involved here who tend here, that's what I see. And I just want to thank you for your passion for the Word and your passion for prayer and the passion for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for who you are, for all you've done for the incredible gift of your grace and mercy, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just want to lift up all the people in our lives who have not yet come into relationship with you. We pray you give us opportunities to very gently encourage people with your word, that we will be powerful witnesses and we will see people discover the grace and mercy we ourselves have discovered. And I do we pray, amen.